a week after he had the opportunity to introduce me, I get the wonderful privilege of introducing um, a man whom I love dearly and I'm so thankful for, uh, Mr. Patrick Choi. And uh, as we continue to stand up we, as we read God's word, it comes from Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am just um, so grateful for this morning, um, for, to, to be able to sit under and hear the word of, of my brother, of my friend, um, of so many things, Father. And I pray that you just be with Patrick this morning and get him out of the way so we can just hear what you have from him. Um, your word, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. I was not as gracious in my introduction to Mike <laughs> last week, so I appreciate you not going... Um, it could have been worse. <laughs> um, good morning, New City Church. Uh, happy Fourth of July. It is an honor and, and a blessing to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to continue my joke of saying that the youth pastor speaks on the Fourth of July Sunday and the Christmas after, or the Sunday after Christmas because uh, it makes you guys laugh every single time. And I'm here once again, so I'm going to keep saying it until um, I'm no longer here. Um, so. Um, if you're new with us this morning, like Mike said, my name is, uh, is Patrick, and I serve as the student ministry director here. Um, and we have paused our series through the book of Genesis, um, as Pastor Ryan is on sabbatical this summer. And uh, we're trekking through the book of Proverbs, and we'll be in Proverbs 18 this morning um, as we focus on the, the importance of our words and what we say to each other. So... When Erica and I first got married, uh, we were on staff with a parachurch ministry here in Atlanta, and it was, it was a great, great four years of ministry, loved every second of it, and one of the best parts about it was that I was on staff with some of my absolute best friends, someone I knew from, from kindergarten, someone I met in eighth grade, the guy who, who led me to, to know Jesus was my boss. You know, it was an incredible and fruitful four years of, minutes, uh, of ministry. So with, with a lot of good that comes with being on minist- in a ministry team with your best friends, um, you know, there's, there's downfalls like there is in anything. Um, and I think for us, one of the, the downfalls was that because we were so comfortable with each other and because we were such good friends, um, you know, sometimes we were a little careless or a little loose with, with our words and how we treated each other. You know, maybe just a joke here or a joke there, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of slander maybe. Um, and all, all of it was made in joke and made in jest. But um, I kind of sensed that it was, uh, it was kind of growing more and more. So I was leading a staff meeting one morning, um, and the staff meeting let, or started at 9 o'clock. And I just kind of let, let us kind of talk. And, um, you know, every time I would hear someone say something negative or poke fun at someone, just made a little check mark, little check mark, little check mark. And probably 15 minutes went by, and I had something of like 30 check marks already. And it kind of struck me um, that, man, we're, we're really careless with our words. We're really loose with, with how we speak um, to one another. And, you know, it would have been more if I wasn't, you know, actively making check marks. But, you know, every 30 seconds that passes, something, something negative, we're just poking fun at someone. And like I said, it, it was nothing horrible. It was nothing that was terribly said. But I think um, part of the problem is that in today's culture, you know, humor um, is kind of what, what 
or making fun of people is kind of what passes as humor nowadays. So this, this sermon is not about, um, you know, not being able to, to joke around with your friends. This sermon is not about, you know, you, you can never joke ever again. But what I do want us to consider is this, that whether it's intentional or unintentional, um, we don't know how destructive our words can be to other people. So as believers, I think the Bible has strong instruction for us in how we use our tongues. You know, growing up, we would hear phrases like, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Or we would hear things like, actions speak louder than words. Or my favorite one is like, just don't let the words bother you. You know, just Patrick, toughen up, man up. Just, you know, the, the words shouldn't affect you in that way. But my counter argument to that, my counterpoint, is what if the words do bother you? What if something that someone has said does impact you in a profound way? What do you do with that? And, you know, we, I think we try and, and lessen um, the power that words have. But there's a strong biblical case that our tongues and what we say to one another have much more power and much more value than we can ever imagine. So there was a, a study done, and I, you know, I don't know how they come up with these studies, but um, it says that an average human in the United States speaks 10 to 20,000 words per day. So 10 to 20,000 words per day. So think about that for yourself. Are those 10 to 20,000 words that are coming out of your mouth, are they furthering God's kingdom? Are they furthering God's mission? Or is it causing division and disunity in the world today? So that's, uh, that's our big idea for today. It's that there's life and there's death in the tongue. And as, as Mike read earlier, our scripture is going to be from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So as I was preparing this sermon, um, just reading through this, this proverb and reading through um, just a lot of the different proverbs, you know, Solomon offers a lot of wisdom about our tongues. He offers a lot of wisdom about our speech. And a common theme that, that I kind of saw was that um, he says that a fool is portrayed as a babbler, but a wise man knows how and when to speak. So in Proverbs 18, it, it almost serves as a litmus test. There are, there's verses kind of scattered throughout this entire chapter um, where he kind of speaks to this. If we are babbling fools, those are Solomon's words, not mine, or if we are someone who speaks with wisdom. So in verse 4, you know, Solomon is kind of painting this picture for us that anyone and everyone can, can speak, right? Anyone and everyone can have an opinion on something, but not everyone is someone who speaks, um, speaks with wisdom. And I think a lot of times we can kind of see this play out when we are, um, you know, talking with someone who's maybe in mourning or going through a hard time. A lot of times it's, you know, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to pray. So I was actually talking to one of my friends um, from high school who, unfortunately, his mom passed from covid and he's at the funeral, and he, he just really saw this play out. Um, and he said people were just saying some, some you know, crazy things to him. And the one that really st uh, stuck out to him was, you know, someone went up to him and said, hey, man, I'm really sorry about your loss, but you just have to get over it. And that just really, really hit him that, man, people don't know how to speak with grace. People don't know how to speak, um, speak with wisdom. 
And in verse 6 and 7 of this chapter, you know, Solomon goes to say that fools are undone by their tongues. I think we've all been there before where we've said something and we're just like, oh, like I wish, I really wish I could take that back. Um, And he says that our lips can be a snare. It can be a trap to our souls. So, you know, there, there are ramifications. There are sin consequences if we, as believers, don't learn to speak with wisdom. So, our first point is this, and it comes straight from um, the scriptures, that there is death in the tongue, that our words carry a lot of power. You know, your speech can do really, really good, or your speech can do a lot of harm. And we need to be aware of which way our speech is directing God's kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me um, to James chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 8. And as I, as I read the scripture, would you just kind of think about the weight and the power that, that your words carry? So this is the, uh, James chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on by fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So what James is, is sharing here um, is just this, this idea of, you know, our tongues are very powerful. And he starts by uh, sharing this, this simple illustration. You know, if you give a horse food, we can really control its entire body. He will follow us. He will listen to us. Then he goes on and talks about a boat. You know, look how big, look how powerful this boat is. And says it's controlled by something as small um, as small as a rudder. And I think you know where I'm going with this, but our, our tongues are a tiny part of our body, yet it boasts a lot of power. And he goes on to, to give this illustration of a forest fire. Forest fire is, is huge, it's massive, but it can be started by something as small as a spark. And he's saying that our uncontrolled tongues, you can compare that to a fire that rages out of control. And it has the power to stain the whole body, that, that your evil speech, that your words have the power to, to spoil or to stain the entire moral character of a person if we're not careful with what we say. The way this kind of plays out in, in normal life, um, if you guys don't know this, I, I work full-time with Metro Atlanta Youth for Christ, and two years ago we are kind of working through a similar uh, sermon series as this, um, and just talking about, you know, the power that words have. Um, So, you know, this is pre-COVID, so it's not a small sample size, but we're working with over 500 students, and we just ask them a very, very simple question. You know, what are the labels that people have placed on your life? I want you to think about that for yourself. What are the labels that people have placed on your life? You know, what are the words that have shaped you to become the man or woman that you are today? And I didn't really know what I was 
expecting to get the answers from these students, but unfortunately, um, the vast, vast majority of these students had um, something negative to say about themselves. The labels that people had placed on them um, were negative, and things that we heard were things like, I'm weird, I'm ugly, I'm a teacher's pet, I'm a try-hard, I'm fat, annoying, dumb, fake, and the list went on and on and on about how people actually viewed themselves. So the way that, you know, the, the power of words can play out is there was one student, um, we'll, call him, we'll call him Brandon for this illustration, um, but he said, he was a sixth grader at the time, and he said when he was, he was younger, someone, someone just called him dumb. You know, nothing over the top, nothing crazy, um, just a simple word, dumb. I don't know if it was said in joke or, or what, but for whatever reason, that word really stuck with him. And then now he, he has this idea, this perception that he's, he's dumb. And he feels like he has to play to this, this persona now. He feels like he has to be this person because as, as a middle school student, he didn't have the confidence to kind of speak up and say, this is not how I really want to be seen. This is not uh, really who I want to be. Um, so unfortunately for him right now, um, his identity is wrapped around that word. So we all have these things that people have said about us, right? You know, whether you admit it or not, as I was, you know, prepping this sermon, you know, everyone I talked to, they all had things that people had placed on them. And, and it sticks with you. So for Brandon, you know, a forest, his, his entire life was set ablaze by a small fire, by one word. Someone calling him, him dumb has changed his, his entire outlook on life. Curtis Vaughn um, has this to say about the power of words. He says, it can sway men to violence or it can move them to the noblest actions. It can instruct the ignorant, encourage the dejected, it can comfort the sorrowing, and it can soothe the dying. Or it can crush the human spirit, destroy reputations, spread disgust and hate, and bring nations to the brink of war. So again, I ask that question, which direction are your words carrying this morning? Are you eating the good fruits of life or are you eating the bad fruits of death? I think some of the, the practical ways that our speech uh, may be hurting other people, um, you know, think about your words in, in daily life. You know, do they tend to be slanderous? Do you gossip often? Are you cynical are you often angry and complaining? Do you tend to be sarcastic? Do you happen to lie often? Um, how, do you, how do you interact with people um, on social media? And I think the, the list can really go on and on. Um, I don't think we have time to, to go through all of it. But just three that I want to touch on briefly are just uh, the idea of gossip, slander, and, and social media. And gossip and slander, just, you know, I think this is something very prevalent and something that's so easy for us to, to fall into. Um, gossip and slander are often referred to as, as cousins because they're so similar, yet there are subtle differences in each one. So gossip, it's talking about someone in a way that is dishonoring, defaming, or hurtful to that person's character. Another translation is, is in verse 8 of Proverbs 21. And it says that it's a, it's a whisper. And it says it's like morsels for our soul. Something in our, in our sinful nature desires gossip. 
I think it's because it gives us control. It, it allows us to control the narrative about another person or even about us. And slander is the open and intentional defamation of another person that seeks to damage their character. So as you think about your everyday life, you know, um, how do you talk about how do you talk about your friends? Is it in a positive light? How do you talk about um, how do you talk about your spouse? Parents, how do you talk about your kids? You know, is this something that you would say in front of them? Um, your coworkers, your boss, um, you know, th- there's, the list can go on about just the way that we communicate about other people. You know, regarding gossip, uh, Ryan has said this. He said, nothing can kill a church faster than gossip. Um, so think about, you know, how do you talk about New City Church? How do you talk about the teaching? How do you talk about the music, the hospitality, whatever? Is it in a way that is encouraging and uplifting to God and to this church? How do you talk about other churches in the area? It's easy for us to talk about all the the wrong things that the church is doing, right? But it's harder for us to refute the gospel and give it it to God. Um, You know, when you become a covenant partner here at New City... um, we ask you to make a vow, and it's not just because it's some, you know, old PCA thing you have to do, but it's, the question is, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church promising to further its purity and peace? And we ask that because Ryan is right that gossip can kill a church. Once one person says something, it can really start a fire. So we want to keep this place, the house of God, the people in it as pure as possible. And the reason why it's so dangerous, um, the reason why gossip is so dangerous, you know, it can put three people um, into the potential of sin. One, the one who is gossiping, the one who is listening, and third, the one that the gossip is, is about. Um, second, it can ruin the reputation of a person. I think we've all seen that play out in our lives about how someone has said something about someone else or, you know, just turn on any TV show and, you know, if you want a good story, there's probably gossip somewhere thrown in there. Um, it can ruin relationships. Um, I think we've probably seen that played out too in our lives, just how maybe someone has said something about you that isn't true and then it kind of builds this wall in your, in your friendship or your relationship um, with that person. And lastly, um, you know, gossip and slander, it's a characteristic of an unbeliever. You know, you can see it throughout Scripture, um, just to, when it says, you know, put away your old self. And a lot of times it's followed up by gossip, slandering, and, and different things like that. In Romans one twenty nine, uh, Paul says, gossipers are attributed to those with a debased mind. And the context of that is um, those who, who choose not to, to know God. They rather worship uh, the creation rather than God himself who created everything. And then regarding uh, social media, you know, I think social media has become one of the, the easiest ways we communicate with one another. You know, people that we know and people that we don't know. I think there's this... This facade with social media um, that we can say more than we probably should because we're behind a screen. And um, what I've noticed, and even in myself, um, we probably say things on social media that we probably wouldn't say to someone face-to-face. So Tim Keller says this about social media. If I wanted to invent a public forum, 
that would undermine civil discourse and lead to social division, I couldn't do a better job than to create Twitter. Um, you go on Twitter and it is just like, what is going on? And, um, you know, it, it's hard. But I think, I think the wisdom that Solomon offers in the Proverbs, um, you know, I think it works with social media. It fits into the way that we connect with people on social media. Even though it may not be coming out of our mouths, it's still a, a forum and a, and a means of communication where we're interacting with other people. You know, we need to be careful with how we're engaging with people that is in a wholesome and winsome way that represents Christ. So why, why, is, why is this important um, to us? And I think it's because our words, they affect us in an eternal way. Um, you know, negative words, disparaging words, gossip, slander, lying, um, it's sin. And we need to treat it for what it is. It is evil and detestable in the sight of a holy and perfect God. I think for us to downplay the severity of our tongues is to downplay sin and therefore downplay what Jesus did for us on the cross. In Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 36, um, Jesus says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account, by your, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And what Jesus is indicating here is that our words, you know, even the careless things that we say, are really, really, really important. And one day, we will have to give account for what we've said. Now, I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Um, when Isaiah encounters God, he encounters the glory of God. You know, he, he becomes lost in himself. And what is his response? His response is, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. As the glory of God you know, overtakes every part of Isaiah, the first thing that he can think of is, man, I don't have lips that are worthy. I don't have words that are worthy enough to praise and honor God. And these verses really show us the importance of our words, that the impact and the power of what we say to other people are eternal. So yes, we are, we are justified by faith alone, but I think there is a strong connection to what Jesus has to say in the Gospels, that what we say, maybe it, it, it has a connection to if our words have taken root in our heart, if the Gospel has really taken root in our heart. So my question is, you know, what kind of fruit is your heart producing? Is it that good fruit of life or is it that bad fruit of death? So that takes us to, to our second point here, um, and it's life in the tongue. I promise it's not all bad news. There, there is good news somewhere in here. Um, and the remedy to death is knowing the source of life. The remedy to taming our tongues is to know that the source of life is Jesus. So one thing that we'll see is this, this continuous idea that Solomon offers, that Jesus offers, that James offers. It's this idea of, of, of fruit, right? Like what kind of fruit is your life bearing? So uh, we're going to continue in James chapter 3, um, verses 9 through 12. And James says, with it, with our tongues, uh, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond, salt pond yield fresh water. So in, in James uh, verses 9 and 10, he's, he's con- or contrasting what we do with our tongues, right? With our tongues, we bless God, but we also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Kind of that same image that we can get in Isaiah. You know, he's so holy, he's so worthy of my praise, but I don't think I have the lips that are worthy to, to praise him. So uh, in James chapter 3, verse 9, a, a key phrase is this idea of the likeness of God. We can see that same, that same image in Genesis 1.26 when he's talking about the creation of Adam. You know, that, that man, every single one of us in here, is created in the image of God. And if we curse man, we are indirectly cursing what God has made, which is beautiful. So have you ever considered in here that everything about your physical appearance, even the things that you don't like, everything about your, your personality trait, your quirks, you know, your hair color, your eye color, our different skin colors, our different race, our different nationalities, you know, my love for sports, your love for music, video games, art, you know, I'm good at math, you're good at science, things that you like about me, things that might annoy you about me, everything is in the image of God. And I think when we look at life through the lens that every single person in here, when we look at life through the lens of of people that we may disagree with, that people we may not like, are made in the image of God, that they bear the likeness of God, I think it will change the way that we, that we talk to them. I think it will change the way that we communicate with them. I think it will change the way that we interact with people when we have that in our hearts, that every single person is an image bearer of God. Um, about a year ago, um, our discipleship group, um, we are, um, we're on a retreat, and... Uh, we're getting ready to leave, and a, um, a homeless person um, came up with, um, with her dog. And, you know, a lot of times I think where I, where I stand with God kind of reveals where I am with how I interact with people, specifically homeless people. Because um, a lot of times, you know, it's like I shouldn't give them a dollar because who knows what they're going to do with that. I don't, or, you know, we just ignore them or we just don't, don't interact with them at all. Um, so the, the concept of the image of God that Imago Day was really sitting hard with me last year. Um, and I, I just, uh, started talking to this woman and, uh, she was just sharing with me that she was from, uh, she was from South Carolina, somehow made it to Conyers. I don't know, like in a day, I don't really know how that happened, but, um, she had really low self-worth, really low self-esteem and just sharing, um, you know, her mom had, had just, you know, really kind of berated her, talked down to her. And, you know, for me to shift my lens at looking at her, not as a homeless person, uh, you know, not like I'm better than you or not what am I, what are you going to do if I give you food or if I give you money? But looking at her through the lens of an image bearer, it changed everything. Because it gave me compassion in the way that Jesus looks at every single one of us. Because we are homeless without God. We are homeless without a relationship with the Father. So I just shared with her that, you know, she is, she's an image bearer and it's beautiful. And that everything about her resembles the likeness of God. 
What she did with that, I have no idea. Maybe she's sitting you know, on a couch somewhere and it's like, some crazy guy told me I look like God. I don't know. <laughs> but, but for me, you know, it, it's really helped me um, with the way I, I, I talk to people or view people who, who might not think like me, who might not look like me, who, who think just different thoughts that I do, that it's okay. It's okay. Um, so, you know, how do we actually do that? How do we look at people um, with different lenses? You know, do we just fake being nice to people? Do we just throw out fake encouragements to people? Like, hey, great job, even though you didn't mean it. Um, I think that'll probably work for like a day, and then you'll just go back to, to your normal life. But trying harder, you know, doing these things, it's not going to get us anywhere. Because the problem lies within us. Um, and we need to look inwardly at ourselves. The key for us is to look to the root of the problem, and it's our hearts. So James, you know, he offers this illustration for us. You know, a, a, a pond can't yield fresh and salt water. You know, a fig tree can't produce olives. A grapevine can't produce figs. As believers, you know, our life should be producing fruit that, um, that is in the likeness of a believer, Look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, um, verse 33. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure Bring forth, brings forth evil. So church, your words, they mirror your heart. You know, our hearts are, they're a treasure box. They're a storehouse. It's where we keep our inmost thoughts. It's where we keep our inmost feelings. It's where we keep what we really um, think about life, where we keep, where we think about everything that um, is true about, about us. And what we store in this box is what is going to be revealed from our lips. So is your heart right now, is it filled with things such as worry, fear, anxiety, anger? Because if it is, the, the probability is that the abundance of what's going to come out of your heart will be tied to, to fear and worry and anger and anxiety. But if your heart is filled with, with, with kingdom mindset things like faith and love, you know, the way that God is working in your hearts, the way that God is working in your family's heart. The, the probability is that the abundance of what's going to come out will be attributed to those things as well. You know, our hearts, you know, they, they are wicked because of sin, and, and they need constant renewal. The only way for us to be able to tame our tongues is to know that it is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we can say, anything good at all. So practical ways that we can store our hearts with, with things from God. Uh, number one, just remember that we are a new creation. If you are a believer, you are a new creation in God. We can't tame our tongues apart from Jesus. It is, it is impossible. James says it in the scriptures that you know, it's a wicked evil that no one has ever tamed before. But what we need, we need a new heart that is being restored every 
single day. And that is only done by the power of what Jesus has done for us. So I want you to live or read and live with Galatians 2.20 in your heart. That I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are a work in progress, yes. But God is regenerating our hearts every single day until the day of completion. Number two, let Christ dwell richly um, in your hearts. You know, we need to make it a pattern to spend time in God's word and to let it uh, sink deep into our hearts, right? Uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, ask me, um, ask me what Freddie Freeman's batting average is. Ask me how many points Trey Young scored last night. And then ask me to quote something in scripture. You know, the first part is really easy for me. The second part, it's a little bit harder. You know, there's a reason why for me, you know, I get really sad when the, when the Falcons blow another fourth quarter lead or when the Braves lose. But I don't get as sad when I think about, you know, my friends and family who don't know Jesus. Um, I think the word of God isn't as deeply rooted in my heart as other things in this world. So what would it look like for us um, to meditate on God's word day and night like it says in Joshua? What would it look like for us not um, that we may store up God's word in our hearts so that we may not sin against him like it says in Psalm 119? What would it look like for us to let the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts, like it says in Colossians 3? And lastly, how many of us have ever just asked God for help? How many of us have ever pleaded to God, God, help me tame my tongue. God, help me control what is coming out of my, my mouth. You know, have you ever prayed to God asking for help taming the tongue? So I'm going to close with this. Um, I, had, I had more, but I actually cut out like five minutes from, from my sermon because it didn't fit, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but I want to close with this. Um, I want us to pray through Psalm 51, just that God would create a new heart in us every single day, a heart that sings his praise, a song that sings his worship, that out of the overflow of our hearts, it's kingdom-building it's God's mission that is coming out of our hearts and not something that is divisive and destructive to this world. Would you pray with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. 
Deliver me from, the, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.